0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Welcome everybody to Journey to Greatness to number 11. Tonight's idea, we're not going to finish in its entirety because this idea, literally I went over this like three or four times just to try to get a grasp on it. It's very interesting. The Safer was, you know, sort of coming along and then all of a sudden it just like really took things to like a new level and it was taking me... A number of hours to really get into this and understand it. So I do have to say that I think we're getting into like the part of this where you become a navi, an amalach, and there's Navua involved, and there's a lot of very deep and esoteric concepts. I'm just joking about that part. Right? There's a lot of very deep and esoteric concepts here. So this is sort of my understanding on a very low level of some very deep ideas to try to, at least for my own life, sort of bring some very lofty concepts, which you may have heard or touched on in your own lives, down to a very practical level, okay? So, the first concept that we want to talk about tonight is the concept, the difference between what he calls Shemush and Aveda. Now, I've been on many panels where the question has been asked, and I don't think that there's any one answer, but the question has been asked, what is the... Number one topic that's, you know, facing Kali Yisrael today. And there's so many answers out there from people not, you know, being religious to people going with the Darach to people struggling with Shabbos. There's so many answers out there. One answer that I've heard given many times over is that a lot of people seem to be going through the motions and they're doing what seems to check the box or get themselves to the next level within, you know, their day or their lives but there's a certain lacking of real, actual meaning within what they're doing. And he starts off by addressing that. And he says that a person needs to understand that there's a difference between what he calls shimush and Avedah. Shemosh is service, and Avedah is service. And what's the difference between the two? And the answer is that Shemosh is like a shamish. What is a shamish? A shamash in a shul. So a shamish and a shul could be a blacksmith. He could be an accountant. He has like his real job, his real thing that he does every day. And then he comes to shul on Shabbos and he's the shamish. He's the guy. He lights the fires or he does whatever he needs to do. But in reality, that's not who he is. Versus avayda, which the Shirish of that is aved. And somebody who has an avayda, they're going through something. It's not just that they're going through something, but something's going through them. It's transforming them. An Evid, by definition, is an Evid. He does not have an identity, right? Evid Avram Anaychi. That's what Eliezer said. I am an Evid. I don't have my, I'm not Eliezer. I'm Eved Avram, right? Somebody, I'm not Avda the Kutsheb right? I am Hashem's Evid. It means that I'm not me. I'm just a reflection of something bigger than myself or different than myself, outside of myself. So what he's saying is, is that many people, they go through their lives on the level of shimush. That means that they they are them, and then they check into their yiddishkeit a little bit, so they daven, they give tzedakah, they sign up to dailygiving.org, and the tzedakah is debited out of their account. And I was at tzedakah every day. I gave tzedakah every day. A little plug for them. Yeah, it's worth signing up. But you didn't. It's good. Shimush, right? You didn't get involved, you didn't ask questions, you didn't sit down with a poor person and hear his life story, you didn't give him a drink, you didn't give him a tea, you didn't give him a ride. You did it. You checked the box. You went through what you needed to get through. It's good. It's a nice level. But it's not Aveda. Aveda means that it's so part of you, it's so ingrained in you, chesed becomes one with you that that literally becomes the essence of who you are. Okay. Now, what is the difference between the two? How does a person know what level they're operating at? So, during Pesach, I happened to pick up a sefer from Rev. Victor Miller. And he touches on this idea, I think in a very beautiful way, and he gives an amazing mashal. He says, a lot of people, you talk to them about emuna, they will tell you that they have emunah, right? Do we have emuna? Sure. You sing the song, and therefore, you're good. But there's a difference between having and on the level of what we'll call Shemush, which means that you, in some area of your mind, in concept, in theory, you do, versus somebody who's real. And what's his muscle? It's a beautiful muscle. So imagine I told you all about the Grand Canyon. And I said, I want to tell you, it's like this hole in the ground. Like, imagine the biggest hole you ever saw. It's much bigger than that. And I was describing to you all the factors of the Grand Canyon. You might get it. You might not get it. I might even show you a picture and say, this is the Grand Canyon. So if you've ever been by the Grand Canyon... I was last year. I was by the Horseshoe Canyon, which is the, probably one of the most photographed places in the world. It's not just the Grand Canyon. It's the Grand Canyon in a, in a circle, like curves around the Colorado ri- River, curves around, and it's it's breathtakingly gorgeous. And you can stand literally at the edge, and you can hear just absolutely nothingness. And you're standing 800 feet above. A precipice that just goes straight down and you can walk around for miles. It's like this. It's, you can't describe that in words. You have to be there. And if you were ever there, you will never forget that you were there. That's what it means to have emuna, bitachin, tefillah, where you're, you're doing things on a level that's an experience. You felt it. Nobody has to say to you, like, how, how deep is the Grand Canyon? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I was there. It was like, it changed my life. People meditate, and they're sitting on the edge. There's so many pictures of people with their feet dangling over the edge. It's extremely, extremely dangerous, obviously. They're just like, capt- like they're becoming one with nature. Like, Ma rabu masach ha Hashem. you cannot describe that. It can't be described. You could talk about it, you could see a picture of it, but when you actually experience it, that level of experience, that is the level that a person, is called through and through knowledge, that is called das. Umala haaretz deya es Hashem, it means that they will know that this is Hashem. That's muna. it's on the level of an experience, okay? A lot of people, they give tzedakah, they don't experience tzedakah. They don't experience empathy for the person that they're giving the money to. They say the words of tefillah. Yes, this is the words that I have to say. But they're not experiencing something. If I say to you, what did you daven for last Tuesday in the morning when when, when you said esrei?" What are you talking about? I said esrei. That's what most... Well, I said esrei. There's nothing special about that versus Wednesday or Monday, if I even said the words. You know what I'm saying? That's how most people, they go through the level of shimush. Shemush is nice. It's good. It's good to get up in the morning and to daven. But to experience... To go through a tefillah where the tefillah is so alive and it's so real, that is called Veida By the way, what is tefillah called? Avodah It is an avodah It's not shimush halev. It's it's avodah because experiencing tefillah, experiencing experiencing a real, true connection, is like standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon. It's like standing and watching Niagara Falls. I remember I once went with a camp to Niagara Falls. And there was somebody who was never at, never at the falls. He was like 22 years old, and we were standing. I forget what it's called, Cave of the Winds, or one of those two. Right there's two of them. There's Cave of the Winds, and made of the, that's the boat. There's another right there's Journey behind the Falls, and whatever. Anyways, he was standing there for the first time, and you could literally feel the rush. And this guy was sitting there. He was like almost crying. He was like. This is unbelievable. It, it's, it's, it's. You can't describe that. You just can't describe that. It's an experience. Okay, so that's what Reverend Victor Miller talks about, and that's what we talk about over here in Tamidim, The idea of an experience. Okay, now it, we're all familiar. It says Ra Ra Bambuzi. Right. We know that a maid servant at the Yamsof saw more than Yechesko Bambuzi. What wow, how, how does, how does it make sense? Yechasko was a work-through person, a person who really went through, you know, all the levels to get to Nevoah and the Maisa Like, he literally attained the highest level of, of visions, of knowledge of Hashem. And yet, this little maidservant, who is, I don't call her a nothing, but on the totem pole, she was a shivcha, she was the lowest level, she experienced more than him. How is that possible? And the answer is one word, Experience because she actually had, a, had an experience where she was able to point and say, Van Vanveu, This is him. He's the guy. He's the one. I see him right here. Yecheskel had a vision. He had like an HD TV. Like, it was so clear. It was 4K. It was 3D. He was able to like see. But she was there. You understand? There's a difference between seeing the most crystal clear video of Niagara Falls and being at the falls. She was at the falls. So she was like, I see him. Van Vanveu. He was the one. Whereas Yechazkel had the most clear vision, the most clear mare. It was a vision. See the difference? The goal, the goal of every person is to try as much as they can to not just live life as a Jew, but to try to live an experiential life, a life where you are experiencing life as a Jew. What what does that mean? How do we get there? Okay? By the way, you could sit down. There's like a bunch of chairs there, unless you're comfortable. Yeah? All right, so how do we get there? So here's where things got a little bit challenging, I'll say. Again, something that I'm only processing in my own words, in my own language, however possible that is. We know that there are different levels of existence. We'll get to two different levels in a minute, but we know that we have a nefesh, we have ruach and neshama. And the difference between these three is very deep and very profound, and hopefully over the next few weeks, maybe we'll expand into some others. But tonight, I want to talk specifically on the nefesh. And through, an, I think, a deeper understanding of what the nefesh is and how to utilize it, you can understand how to like start tapping or scratching into this concept. What is the nefesh? A nefesh simply means the life force, okay? So I've never really fully understood this. It also talks about which organs each one of these is based out of. The ruach is in the lungs. We'll talk about all that at a, deep, a, a different day. When we're levitating over the ground, we'll talk about that. But for now, just basics, okay? Nefesh, the word nefesh, we're going to interpret as the life force of a being, okay? Which means that humans have a nefesh, animals have a nefesh, and plants have a nefesh, okay? So all three of those living beings have what's called the nefesh. Now, within your nefesh, forget where it lives, forget what it looks like, you and I have experienced our nefesh without really under- understanding what it was. And I'll explain to you what that means. We have five senses, right? Now, I'm sure you're familiar, on Pesach, they had this amazing magician walking around just doing tricks, whatever, it my have okay? I'm joking. (laughs) And you're watching somebody who consistently just does something, right? Over and over and over. And then they do another trick, another trick, another trick. And you start to pick up that there's a lot of chachma into, it's not real magic, right? You start to chop. There's the art of misdirection, right? slight, Slight of hand, whatever they call it. All these different techniques within the world of magic. And one of the things that you can find is that the guy could be sitting there talking to somebody and he'll put his hand on the person's hand, right? And then with his other hand, he'll slowly, let's say, pick the person's pocket. He'll take the person's watch, keys, belt, sometimes even their tie. He'll take it off. How's that possible? Like if somebody starts taking off your tie, you know they're taking off your tie. The answer is is that our body has so many sensors that it's impossible to focus on all of them at one time. Okay, you don't feel the chair that you're sitting on right now, even though you were just sitting on it. You didn't think about it. And therefore, your brain, since it's focused here, it's not focused on the feeling of the texture of whatever it is that you're sitting on. But now that I mentioned it, you're like, oh, that's what it feels like. Right. But now, now, if you think about what your feet feel like on the ground, you realize like my feet were on the ground the whole time. I didn't feel that. But now you do. Because your brain can't process so many things at one time. So the awareness is really on whatever it is that you put your focus to. Does that make sense? So within the world of Shemush, there's very little focus on anything. You just go through the motions. And sometimes the motions just happen on its its own, and, and we're happy, right? The tzedakah gave itself. We're happy. We don't have to do anything because it just happened. Within the world of Avaida, the world of actually transforming yourself, it means... I'll define it in my own words as a self-awareness, almost like a mindfulness so that whatever you're doing, you're actually paying attention to what's happening. So if you think about sight, sight is very much a selection. If I'm looking at this, that means I'm not seeing whatever is in the periphery. If I'm looking at that, that means that that's what's in my line of sight. I'm not thinking about this. I get to choose and select what it is that I want to focus on. The same thing with hearing. Right There's a whole room that people are talking, and I'm selecting to listen to this person's conversation, or this person's conversation. I'm touch, touching this, I'm activating these sensors to feel this, but I'm not feeling something else. That force inside of you, that conscious force, the thing that says to you, do this, that's your nefesh. Your nefesh is the thing it utilizes your senses in order to feel something. And you can feel it more, or you can feel it less. Does that all make sense? Right, And we do this all the time. We just don't know what that's called. That is called accessing your nafesh. Now, on the five-level senses, let's call that almost like a ground zero. That's, that's the first level. And now a person wants to go up a little bit. They don't want to just be like an animal because everything we just described, an animal has as well. An animal hears, an animal sees, an animal tastes, animal feels, animal smells. Animal has all those senses. So what makes us different than an animal? The answer is that we also have a brain. And the brain is where you start activating different levels, okay? So within our minds, all of a sudden you say to yourself, what's the gematria of Tzapaira, Bas So all of a sudden you're like, uh, I don't Your brain now has to activate. That activation is now a little bit more closer to home. You're now coming back to the source of your mind, which is we can the way I would explain this, it's a little bit closer to the center point. You're not all the way out here on the periphery. I think another way to explain this, he goes off on this tangent, is that if you take, for example, a plant, a plant's essence, a plant's being, think about like a tree, for example, if I take a branch off a tree, so the life force is the tree itself. Does that make sense? Okay, we got to work on this together. The life force is the tree itself. Now I break off a branch. What will happen to the branch? It'll die, right? Now, let's say I take that branch and I stick it into the ground. It'll oftentimes sprout out a new tree somewhere else, right? How does that work? The answer is, is that the nefesh of a plant is very not centered. It's, it's further out on the periphery, which means that if I prune a branch and then I stick it into the ground, the nefesh sort of is able to expand out. When it comes to a, an animal if let's say I cut off an arm off a, a lion, chop it off, it's going to die. It has no chance, right? Maybe I could try to reconnect it very, very quickly to the life force, to the nafesh. But if I don't, it's gone. Maybe you can cut off an organ from one animal, one human being, and transplant it in another one. But you can't just put it, you can't just put it in the ground and, and it's going to grow. A Something that doesn't have a life force, think of a rock. If I crack it in two, a rock is just a rock. It doesn't die. It's already dead. It has no nephesh. So what that means is that the more closer to the pinnacle of creation you are, which is something that's inanimate, then you have a plant, and then you have a chaya, and then you have a medaber, the nephesh becomes more peaked. Does this make sense to you? Yeah? I'm making sure we're not flying over everyone's head here. The nafsh becomes more peaked. It becomes more closer to home. Which means that The way for transformation, the way for activation of your nefesh is to go back to that source. And the source for the nefesh, by a human being, is their brain. How do we know that? Because in our journey to Midos, we said that what is a medaber? What is dibor? Dibor is an expression of chachma. That's what dibor is. It's an expression of chachma. Which means that the way for a person, simply, practically put, to actually feel... Alive in their life is to focus their mind on whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. To focus their mind on whatever they're trying to accomplish. If you go through your day and your mind is not in it, you're not mindful about what you're accomplishing, about what you're doing, you will feel very not alive. You'll feel the same life fulfillment of an animal. Because an animal goes through its day. It sees, it hears, it does, it experiences. There's nothing to it that is chachmedic. There's nothing to it that, that builds, that gave. It doesn't have that level. On its own level, it has it. But on our level, on the level of, 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 of accomplishment, an animal doesn't necessarily have that. Once a person taps into their source, he then becomes an expression of that source. And what does that mean? And this is, this is as deep as we're gonna get tonight. And what does that mean? It means that rather than your hands leading the way, rather than your feet leading the way, allow your mind to lead the way. If, if your hands are leading the way, they're just doing whatever it is that they're doing. In Hebrew, that, that word is called a misasek. Misasek means that your hands are busybody hands. They're doing whatever they're doing, but there's no, there's no kavana behind it. On Shabbos, we know that you have to have which means that you have to have a machshava to do something wrong in order to be over an isadai raisa. So somebody says to you, don't do whatever it is, then you go ahead and you do it, then you're chayev, right? But let's say somebody goes to the bathroom on Friday night. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, they walk in, they just turn on the light switch, and they go, oh, what did I do? In Hebrew, that's called a masasik. Your brain was not here. Your brain was off. Your brain is still sleeping. You're walking in your sleep. Your hands led the way. And therefore... If a person wants to accomplish anything in their life that's meaningful, that's powerful, that will resonate and will stick around for a long time, they cannot live their life as a masasik. They have to live their life with an avaydah. And what that means is that they have a consciousness, and then that consciousness radiates out. I remember, a bunch of years ago, when I was a Bakr, I went to Meirun on Lagba Omer. I came there, I came early, and... The way it works, if you've ever been there, I'm sure many of you have, on Lagma Umar, they they it's like, obviously it's Svira, so there's no music. And then the night comes, and it's nightfall, and then the music starts, like, very slowly. And I remember going there and looking around at the bus and seeing all types of Jews. Literally, not like, you know, everybody from the mirror. All types of Jews, Timanim, Spartim, Chassidim, old, young, all different types of Jews. And I remember standing at the kever, and it was right before, like, nightfall. It was right before the music was starting. And I remember looking around at thousands of people and thinking to myself, Wow, look at this moment. It's like a moment of achdus. Everybody's davening together, everybody's here together. And I remember just like basking in the moment. And then the music starts very, very slowly. And then the Vienna Rebel goes walks up and he lights the, the Madura. And then all of a sudden, boom, the music kicks in, right? And you just see thousands of people hopping and jumping. And I remember when I was dating my wife, we were talking. She said, tell me one of your most memorable experiences in life. And I told my wife that the 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 hour of building up to the, like, the fact that there was so much achdas with the people around, and then like the five or six hours of just dancing with strangers, just grabbing them and just dancing in a circle, that will stay with me for the rest of my life. Why? Because it was an experience of not just in my mind, but it was kaal atzmaisai taimarna. All of my bones, the jumping, the dancing, the singing. Your whole body gets into it. You remember a kumzitz ten times better than you remember a sheer. Why? Because there's an experience. You sang, you cried, it was heartsick. You remember those moments because you threw your whole body into it. It was led by your brain, and then your brain propelled your body forward. As opposed to the way most people go through most things in their life, which is that it's up here and it's stuck in our minds. We don't actually accomplish anything, even though in our minds we want to go on a diet, and we want to make money, and we want to get a degree, and we want to be calmer. We want to do everything, but it doesn't happen. You know why? Because it's stuck. It's stuck up here rather than transforming out and allowing your body to do what what your mind is directing it to do. Does this all make sense? And if you tap in to something that's meaningful, because the source of meaning is Hashem, and the source of all life is Hashem, that means that the most center point of Nafesh is Hashem, meaning. That is why you could have somebody that schleps their feet through the whole day, they feel down, depressed, Lethargic, they can't do anything, and something comes along that lights them up. It could be a hatzalah guy at three o'clock in the morning. It could be a mother whose baby has fell off the bed. Something that becomes you need to do this now. There's meaning in this. All of a sudden, that person lights up. Every one of us has our our mitzvah, our thing, our our shirush and neshama, the thing that lights us up, that makes us excited. Why? When you, when you experience that, nobody has to convince you. You know you should really do this. You're just you're on fire when that happens. And everyone has it. Some people work with special needs kids. Some people go to hospitals. Some people go to the cancers. Everyone has their thing. Whatever your thing is, that's your life. It gives you life. It's not just in theory one day you'll have life. You actually feel alive when you're doing that thing. That's your, that's your nefesh. That you're tapping. You're touching it. You're feeling it. You're feeling it on a high level. You're not just like, in theory, doing the mitzvah. You're doing your mitzvah. You're doing your thing. And and then you're feeling it. I remember a bunch of years ago, one of the first, excuse me, one of the first programs that I was ever on was a program called Israel Shabbat Experience. They were trying to get um, college students to become from, and they're here in Israel, not here, they were in Israel on a birthright group, and for Shabbos, you were able to go in and talk to them and whatever it is. I remember um, going, I was so clueless, I was like yeshiva guy at heart, never spoke to college kids in my life, and they sent me along with Tzvi Sittner, Rabbi Tzvi Sittner, from, he's now in Toronto, and they said, go with him, he'll show you what you need to do. Alright, we got there. He's like a pro right off the bat. He walks into a room. He's like doing the moonwalk. He's dancing, break dancing. He, he like knows all everything to say. He's so, so smooth. And like I'm walking behind him like <laughs> no clue what's going on. Like I don't know one word to say, nothing. Anyways, Emilio Chavez and I was just following him, following him, following him. Emilio the Chavez, they had like q and A. Q&A. And one of the students asked, you have to keep in mind, these, they're, they're Jewish, but they're from all over the country. Many of them never saw a from Jew in their life. And one of them said, can you rabbis, or rabbis in training, can you tell us what it's like in yeshiva? So Tzvi turned to me and he said, Ruben, you take this one. Like, it's so obvious. I'm saying, you spent your whole life in yeshiva. Just explain to them what goes on in yeshiva. So I was like, okay, this is an easy one. I was like, it's it's like, I guess the ho- la havdil like it would be like. You know, this is how like I'm talking to like secular. Like la like if like let's say you had like uh, like a library and was, like a lot of books. So it was like there's like a lot of books and like imagine a lot of people were like studying for something. So like they're like sitting down like uh, opening the books right and like you have a partner so you're studying with your partner like in the books and he jumped up he's like. And also, and he like, he's like, that is not what it's like. And he gave jumped into this whole explanation of like, you know, how everyone's going and there's like a risk of the rice, everyone's screaming at each other. And they were like, okay, they sort of got a little bit more of a picture from him than from me. Now, fast forward about 10 years and I was working in my office and a client of mine comes in and he says, you know, very interesting, you should just know, um, I, I went to Israel Tell me like a whole story And I said Oh, did you grow up religious? Yes, quasi Not really, whatever And he says Oh, I went on a trip to Israel once And he's like And I once went to this place Called the Jerusalem Kolo And that was what made me religious So I said Jerusalem Kolo That's where I studied What does it mean You went to the Jerusalem Kolo He said Yeah, they had this program Where they brought Secular students in And people actually learned with them They gave them an experience Of what it was like To be in yeshiva You know so I said, Oh, it's so interesting. He said, Yeah, and I even have a picture of it. Now I remember when I was in the call, they brought these guys in and I even learned with a few of them. And it was funny, he pulled up on his phone, he has a picture, and he looked and he goes, Look, this is me right here. I said, Oh, that's so funny. I remember this call and I said, Actually, I sat like I I know where you're sitting, I sat a few rows back. So on the picture, he like zoomed he like zoomed in and he like looked and he and you literally see me standing in the back. Okay, of the room when this guy was there for that one like two hours, that was the whole thing he was there for two hours, and it totally transformed his life so I was like that's so funny you're I'm there, and you're here right and then he closed the phone, we had like a longer conversation, and that was that and it struck me very interesting that here talking to forty students, I gave them a very low level explanation of what a base medrash is like, really off the mark, right and Rabbi C. Sitner gives them this bomb explanation and Maybe it impacted people. Maybe it didn't. But it's here. And this guy walked into base medrash for two hours, and he walked out, and he's like, I'm becoming religious. That's an experience. We can talk, and we can talk, and we can talk. And we can understand, and we can process, and we can hear. It's all very, very nice. Beautiful. It's a good start. But until we transform that into something that you're actually doing, you're experiencing Experiencing something, it's just stuck up here. It's not it's not doing something. I was thinking, it says Yisra'i. Yisray comes running. What is what does Rashi say? Ma shmua shama uba. What shmua did he hear that prompted him to come? Now, what type of question is that? The answer is, is that there were so many people, Shamu Amim Mirgazan, so many nations heard of Kriyas Yamsa. and Muhammad malik So many people heard. If you look in those it says like three or four times that people heard. They heard, they heard, everybody heard. Yisrael said, if I hear, it'll be one, it'll go in one ear, it'll go out the other ear. It's very nice to hear. It's beautiful. It's very nice. It's a good start. But mash uba. What prompted him to change was not that he heard. What prompted him to change was that he came, he showed up, he sat down, he had a meal. He saw what was going on in Yisrael. he experienced it. He gave his advice and then he said, I had now have enough fuel in my tank to go back to Midian and go be Makara of the whole country. It actually transformed him. His whole country also heard it. But he had to see it. He had to experience it. In everything in our lives. I think it's the most practical thing. Whatever it is that you're doing, make sure you have what they call a CTA a call to action. In anything that you're hearing, if you just hear it, it's not enough. It's a good start. But in five years from now, probably in five days from now, you're not going to remember it. You're going to have a hard time internalizing that idea if you can't even remember it. You can't repeat it. You can't speak it over. It has to become one with us. Whatever the idea is, whether it's on tefillah, whether it's on emotions, whether it's on relationships, Whatever it's on. If it's just an idea, it's, it's not enough. Yiddishkeit is experiential. It has to become part of who we are in order for us to actually actualize and feel the change. And if we don't, then it's, it's fine. It's good. It's a good low level. But if a person starts to tap into whatever it is that they're feeling, if their Shemana Esri has that awareness, that mindfulness... If they're avayda, when I say avayda, it could be chesed, it could be giving a ride to somebody, it could be calling somebody, but actually feeling something. One thing that I'm noticing more and more, I just have to end with this, is that I think that we live in a generation, something that he speaks about, where there will be more emotions than ever before. We spoke about this, and uh, so many people... Right From the Second World War, a lot of what people went through sort of dulled a lot of their emotions. And we live in a world today where we maybe have more emotional awareness than ever before. I gave a share once not too long ago somewhere, and I spoke to like 100 mothers and daughters about dating. And the number one question that I got from mothers was, my child keeps talking about an emotional relationship, an emotional connection, and I honestly have no idea what she's talking about. You know how many mothers I heard that from? I, I was like, this is like, you really see the difference between this generation and this generation? Shockingly so. I, I would just say that the, but a lot of people within their emotions, even in our generation, us youngsters, what we oftentimes experience is that it's emotional overload. We're not honest with our emotions. We're not really processing it in, in a real and honest way. And it, it's an Aveda. Everything is an Aveda. And Avayda means that you're working through it, but you're really working through it. You're able to feel the difference. You're able to go through your life and say, between now and last year, there was a change. There was a difference. It doesn't have to be external, but something on the inside. You're a calmer person. You're doing something different, doing something more. But if it's constantly stuck in your head, if you're a person who keeps thinking that you're going to die but you're never dieting. You're going to start davening, but you're never davening. You're going to start getting stuck up, but you're not. You're going to go for your degree, but you're not. If everything's stuck up in your mind, then you have to start bringing it into the into actually doing something. It's not enough that it's stuck up in our mind. Your mind is a good place for things to, to, to get stored. But at a certain point, you realize that it, up here, there's godless, but in reality, there's not. I hear this from so many couples also who are living their life, and we start talking about ideas. This is what you're going to do different in your relationship. And they go, okay, sounds great. And I'm like, it, Everything's going to sound great. You know what I'm saying? Put on any anytime and just randomly pick a share. It'll sound great. That's not how you change your life, change your marriage. You have to do something. If you don't do something, if you don't actually put in the time, the effort, the work, nothing's going to change. In your mind, you'll be the best husband, the best wife, the best child. Everything will be the best. But in reality, nothing's going to change. The way that it changes is by focusing and then allowing that to become part of what you do. Dancing around the Shabbos table with your children. Having real simcha in your house. Davening and like even just a shackle. What is a shackle? It's like you're in it. Your body is in it. Right? That's what the Gemara says is like when you're shuckling, when you're bending. It's you're putting your body into something. The hachna of maidim. You're lowering yourself in front of Hashem three steps back. We don't just like talk about these things. We do it every day. But we don't do it in our minds. You understand? How many times did you take three steps back and say I'm stepping back from the shechina, right? Left and right and in the middle, right? The gvura and the malchus. And how many times did anybody do that? Never. But we hear about it all the time. We hear about it. It's in our minds. We know that. Even just just the words. You take a three steps back from Shmuel right? Hashem Sefasai Tiftach Ufi Yageti Lasacha, right? Hashem, open my open my open my mouth. I'm about to stand in front of you. I, I don't even have the words to talk. That reality, right? It's the most famous story. You've probably heard this before. A very famous story. Reb Feinstein was when he was older. I believe it was in Elizabeth, New Jersey, that he was staying by somebody. And the person had to run out on an errand, and they they said, you know, they need somebody to watch Ramesha, so they ran outside, and they saw Bachar standing in his driveway playing basketball. So he ran up to Bachar and said, hey, I have an opportunity for you, Ramesha Feinstein is here, he needs somebody to just stay with him, just to make sure he's okay for like an hour or two while I run out. So he said, sure, I'll be there in a minute, changed, came in, and he came like running into the house, like saw Ramesha, just like froze, like, the Gadol Adar. Like, in your mind, you think, like, I would say this, I would say that. He just, like, totally froze. He didn't say one word. And he just stood and stared at Ramesha for, like, two hours. And Ramesha said, do you have any questions? He just, like, was frozen. At the end of, like, two hours, this guy came back, and the Bachar left. And Ramesha said to this person, he said, Halavai, when I said the words, Hashem sefasei tiftach, I had the ema, the fear, that this Bachar had when he looked at me. This boy was frozen for two hours, didn't say one word. Right? That, that, we, like something, epithet, something. We say those words thousands of times in our lives. That's our body leading the brain. Our brain could be sleeping. We're, we're saying the words. We're going through the motions. Our mind is like in Cancun, but our, our body is here. It needs to be the opposite. That our mind is here and then our body carries forth. Does it make sense? It has to change around. Or else we become shamashim, that in reality I'm an accountant, hudav and shmerashre. No, in reality you're a yid, who happens to do accounting. There has to be a switch. If our bodies are leading the charge, we're not, we're not working it. We're not like delving out and pulling out from this what we need. If, if our brains are, if our brains are front and center, then it's a different story. It's a deep idea. I know it's a deep idea. You have to like process this through.